Good morning. I want to invite my friend Dave Robinson up here. Dave's going to help me this morning. Um, so uh, I want you to invite you, if you'd like, to turn to 1 Samuel 18. We've been journeying through the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, the last two Sundays, we talked about David and Goliath, and I had fun. I don't know if you had fun, but I had fun. Uh, Lots of comments from you about uh, those two teachings and uh, lots of sympathy from you about the Prius killer. Uh, I survived the Prius killer. If you weren't here last Sunday, podcast. Um, so where we're going to pick up the story is right after this battle between David and Goliath. And David has slain this giant and the Philistines have run off in fear and the Israelites have pursued them. And so we're gonna look at 1 Samuel, the, the first part of 1 Samuel 18, and then we're gonna look at 1 Samuel 20 in full. Uh, and specifically what I want to look at today is uh, this relationship between David, the future king of Israel, uh, and Jonathan, the son of the current king, Saul. And uh, the complexities of what that means to be best friends uh, with a guy whose dad wants to kill you. Um, so <laughs> I'm glad you found that funny, Larry. Um, so um, Dave and I are going to do something. Uh, we're, we're just going to experiment this morning and have a little fun. Dave's going to read, uh, and uh, I'm going to probably interrupt him a lot. Um, but I've also invited Dave, if he has any thoughts or comments or insights, to share them. So sound good? All right, let's pray. God, thanks for another Sunday. Thanks for the opportunity to get to be here with community, with friends. God, as we explore this story of friendship this morning, God, I pray that you would cultivate in our own hearts uh, a longing for deep community with others and to be people of sacrificial love with one another. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, so Brother Dave, chapter 18, go ahead and start. Verse 1. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. Okay, so uh, the NRSV translates it this way. The soul of Jonathan was bound to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own Soul. Uh, the Hebrew text uses this word nefesh for the soul. It is the, the very thing that you are made up of. Uh, it, it is uh, your personality. It is your being. It, it is the thing that God has breathed into your life to make you a living being. And, and so uh, something dramatic has happened between Jonathan and David. Their souls were bound together. A, a deep, deep friendship and love has come about between these two men. Something just so unbelievably beautiful. This companionship, this brotherhood, this friendship. Uh, and uh, it, it, it's something that so many people have pointed back to, this relationship between David and Jonathan and how profound it was. Please continue. 
From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. Okay, so uh, for a moment, think about how David has been traveling back and forth between his home in Bethlehem with his father Jesse and his family and to King Saul. Because remember, he, he was originally brought to King Saul as a musician to play the harp for Saul. When Saul, when this evil spirit was coming upon Saul and when Saul was facing this mental anguish and, and what many believe uh, Saul had mental illness and when this music was played from the harp, it would calm Saul and he would be relieved. And so David was traveling back and forth, but now suddenly Saul is saying, no, you're, you're not going home anymore. I'm keeping you here. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Okay, so something really profound is happening here. You see, Saul is all about his kingdom and his kingship. He wants to preserve it, he wants to keep it, he doesn't want anything to get in the way of what he feels is rightfully his. But Jonathan sees something. He sees that God has chosen David to be the future leader of Israel, to be the king of Israel. And Jonathan, who is the rightful heir to the throne, does something hugely symbolic. He takes off his royal robe and gives it to David. This is Jonathan saying, I hand the kingdom to you. I see what God sees. And that is, I'm not supposed to be the next king. You are. Uh, this is unbelievable. That the future, the heir to the throne would say, I'm not going to look out for my own interests. I'm not going to look out for my own self-preservation. What I'm going to do is align myself with the interests of God. And I know God has anointed you and chosen you to be the next king, and so I am going to align myself with that, take off my royal robe, and give it to you. Now, as the story proceeds, what we see in chapter 18 is that uh, David becomes this great warrior and women start singing this song about David and Saul. Uh, David has killed 10,000s and Saul thousands. And it's this, this uh, song where they are praising David and kind of Saul. And, and Saul gets deeply jealous deeply angry, and deeply fearful. And what we see in, in chapters 18, 19, and 20 really is Saul just spiraling downward and out of control. He, he really is losing his mind. We see over and over again in chapter 18 that Saul was afraid. He was afraid of David. We see over and over again that Saul was angry, and we see over and over again that Saul becomes violent. Fear leads to anger, leads to violence, 
multiple attempts on David's life. Uh, twice while he was playing the harp for Saul. So what do we have? We have a spear versus a harp. And, and David escapes both of these attempts on his life. And so uh, as chapter 18 continues, uh, David ends up marrying uh, one of Saul's daughters. Her name is Michael. And he marries her. And so now he is the son-in-law of Saul who wants to kill him. Saul decided, I will give him my daughter in marriage, and that way I'll be able to trap him because I'll have an insider. And so what we have is Jonathan, David's best friend, Michael, David's wife, both children of Saul who wants to kill David. This is, uh, this is a messed up family. Uh, David is now the son-in-law of the man who wants him dead. And as we move into chapter 19, we see more attempts on David's life, and, and David escapes, and where does he go? He goes to where Samuel is. He says, Saul is trying to take my life. And it's such an extraordinary story. I invite you to read it later. At near the end of chapter 19, Saul sends some men to kill David. And when they get there, where Samuel is, uh, uh, the Spirit of the Lord, the presence of God is so strong. These men who are sent to kill David, they start prophesying. And now prophecy, uh, most times in the Old Testament, it's not foretelling the future. It's speaking truth about God. So basically, they, they just start speaking truths about God. And so uh, Saul sends another group of men to kill David. And the same thing happens to them. The spirit overcomes them, and they start prophesying. He sends a third group, and the same thing happens to them. The spirit overcomes them, and they start prophesying. So all these men who were sent with violent intention just start talking about God and how awesome God is. And so Saul's like, oh my goodness, this is ridiculous. I have to do this myself. And so Saul goes, and you know what happens? He starts prophesying. <laughs> the same thing happens to Saul. The, the, the spirit of the Lord was so strong that the violent intentions of these men could not be accomplished because the spirit overcame them. And they began speaking truths about God. Now, chapter 20 is where we really see the story of David and Jonathan unfold. So I want to read this in full, and it's a long chapter, and so what I want you to invite you to do is if you want to follow along in your Bible, you can. Uh, otherwise, j just listen, because this is the way these stories used to be uh, told. They didn't have Bibles like you and I do. They, they just heard these stories being told or being read to them. So if you want to simply listen, I want to invite you into the story. Imagine yourself as David. Imagine yourself as Jonathan. Imagine yourself in the story and what's going on. And I'll, I'll interrupt Dave from time to time too. But chapter 20, Dave. Then David fled from Naoth at Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked, what have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he is trying to kill me? Never, Jonathan replied, you are not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything, great or small, without letting me know. Why would he hide this from me? It isn't so. But David took an oath 
and said, your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he will be grieved. Yet, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there is only a step between me and death. Jonathan said to David, whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. So David said, look, tomorrow is the new moon feast and I am supposed to dine with the king, but let me go and hide in the field until the evening of the day after tomorrow. If your father misses me at all, tell him, David earnestly asked my permission to hurry to Bethlehem, his hometown, because an annual sacrifice is being made there for his whole clan. If he says, very well, then your servant is safe. But if he loses his temper, you can be sure that he is determined to harm me. As for you, show kindness to your servant, for you have brought him into a covenant with you before the Lord. If I am guilty, then kill me yourself. Why hand me over to your father? Never, Jonathan said. If I had the least inkling that my father was determined to harm you, wouldn't I tell you? David asked, who will tell me if your father answers you harshly? Come, Jonathan said, let's go out into the field. So they went out together. Then Jonathan said to David, I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, that I will surely sound out my father by this time, the day after tomorrow. If he is favorably disposed toward you, will I not send you word and let you know? But if my father intends to harm you, may the Lord deal with Jonathan, be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away in peace. Okay. So uh, a couple of things to notice in this text. Over and over and over again, the word father is used, highlighting this tension that is growing now between Jonathan and his own dad because he has made a covenant with David uh, a brotherhood with David. He has knitted his soul with David's, and his dad wants David dead. And yet, in the face of violence, what Jonathan and David are living is peace. David refuses to lay a hand on Saul to fight back, and Jonathan is talking about peace. I will send you away in peace. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. This is Jonathan. But show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. Okay, so three times so far the word kindness has been used. Once in verse 8, and then again in 14 and 15. Uh, notice over and over again the word kindness. Now this word in the Hebrew is the word hesed. If you were here when we uh, journeyed through the book of Ruth, we talked a lot about this idea of hesed. That this, this relationship that Jonathan and David have together is similar to the relationship that Naomi and Ruth had together. There was this hesed love, this loving kindness of God that by God's grace can be embodied from one person to another. 
It is this covenant loyalty. It is loving kindness. Hesed. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him, because he loved him as he loved himself. Then Jonathan said to David, Tomorrow is the new moon feast. You will be missed, because your seat will be empty. The day after tomorrow, toward evening, go to the place where you hid when this trouble began, and wait by the stone Ezel. Ezel. Don't know what that is. I will shoot three arrows to the side of it, as though I were shooting at a target. Then I will send a boy and say, go find the arrows. If I say to him, look, the arrows are on this side, are on this side of you, bring them there, bring them here. Then come, because as surely as the Lord lives, you are safe. There is no danger. But if I say to the boy, look, the arrows are beyond you, then you must go, because the Lord has sent you away. And about the matter you and I discussed, remember, the Lord is witness between you and me forever. So David hid in the field, and when the new moon feast came, the king sat down to eat. He sat in his customary place by the wall opposite Jonathan, and Abner sat next to Saul, but David's place was empty. Saul said nothing that day, for he thought something must have happened to David to make him ceremonially unclean. Surely he is unclean. But the next day, the second day of the month, David's place was empty again. Then Saul said to his son Jonathan, why isn't the son of Jesse come to the meal, either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered, David earnestly asked me for permission to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go because our family is observing a sacrifice in the town and my brother has ordered me to be there. If I have found favor in your eyes, let me get away to see my brothers. That is why he has not come to the king's table. Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan and he said to him, you you son of a perverse and rebellious woman, Don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring him to me, for he must die. Okay. Um, Saul... Well, okay, I just thought of something. So this idea in Genesis, uh, these first humans, Adam and Eve, they eat this fruit that God tells them not to eat from. And, and the constant refrain, uh, it, they, they're afraid. Uh, they say, I was afraid, so I hid. And then when God questions them, uh, the man blames the woman, the woman blames the serpent. Uh, this constant human condition and and our uh, pattern. We hide and we blame. And that's exactly what Saul is doing. He's hiding 
behind all this fear, all this rage. Uh, and in verse 31, we see he is deathly afraid that David will take the throne and Jonathan won't become king. Uh, but Jonathan has already consented to David becoming king. And so Saul is desperate to preserve his kingdom, his own self-interest, his own power, and he wants to see that power pass to Jonathan, not to someone else. Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asked his father. But Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. Then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, th this is how, how the spiral has gone all the way down so far that Saul is willing to try to take his own son's life. In this moment of fear and anger, he attempts to take the life of his own son. At which point Jonathan's like, oh, I guess he does want to kill David. If he's willing to kill me, his son, he certainly wants David dead. Uh, so, a few thoughts. Um, friendship, community, it, it forms us into being more human. Uh, Jonathan could have taken the easy way out. He could have cut ties with David and sided with his father, sided with the side of fear, anger, and violence. Instead, he chose covenant loyalty, deep friendship with David, and, and it costs something. It costs him his relationship with his dad, who now doesn't trust him. It costs him the throne. Uh, friendship costs something. Uh, in, in a world where people have largely become commodified, in a world where people are largely seen for their utilitarian value, this story shows us a different way of being in relationship. Jonathan refused to just use David for what he could do. He refused to just see David as a commodity. Saul sees David as a commodity. He can play the harp for me. It makes me feel better. Oh, he can kill giants. I like that. Uh, but when his position and his power feels threatened, he wants David dead. But for Jonathan, David is his best friend. He loved David as he loved his own soul or as he loved his own life. Jonathan is willing to risk this friendship, ultimately for the sake of God's vision. 
because Jonathan sees what his dad doesn't see. That God has a vision and a future for the people of Israel. And it's with David leading them, not Saul. And so Saul grasps for power, grasps to keep power, while David releases power and lets go of power. We live in a world that's often filled with shallow relationships rather than true depth of friendship. I think one of the greatest things a person can do for another is to see them, to confirm that which is deeply true about them, what is most fully that person and confirm it by recognizing and encouraging it. To engage in sacred listening. This is prayer. To surrender. To let go of oneself and listen to the other and be present. To empathize. To love. To be united in our common humanity. I wonder what it would be like if every person we spoke with, we saw them. We listened to them when we sat with them over coffee. We, we were fully present to them. I, I wonder what it would look like if, if uh, when you meet someone with coffee, you put your phone away. And if a text or a call came, you, you didn't know it because you were fully present with the person you were meeting with. Uh, I wonder what would change in the internal disposition of people if when you saw something in them where they were living into the person God created them to be. I wonder what would happen if you named that and you spoke life into them. What would it be like if we spoke life into people regularly? And what if we were willing to be like Jonathan and sacrifice our own self-preservation, our own self-interest, our own attempts or possibilities of power and position for the sake of community. And we were present to others. Uh, Jesus, in John 15, he, he's speaking to his disciples right before he's going to die. And he knows he's going to die. And he's speaking to his closest friends, his followers. And he says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Uh, for Jesus, the most important thing he could convey to his followers right before he died was love. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. 
you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father. I have made known to you. These final words of Jesus, love each other. You're my friends. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for their friends. And then what does Jesus do? He does exactly that. He lays down his life for the whole world and calls us friends, calls us his own, invites us into this way of being in the world that is self-giving love rather than self-serving power. It's freedom from fear and anger and violence and freedom to love and experience the fullness of what God has to offer us. Uh, let's show those last verses of chapter 15, verses 41 and 42. David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the most. Jonathan said to David, go in peace. For we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left, and Jonathan went back to town. You have any thoughts, Dave? I thought the new moon feast was a happy thing. Sorry, that, that's probably not on point, but the family so, drama So people who table. are living in fear can ruin what should be a happy occasion. Yeah, there was, there could have been this story of the new moon feast and this family gathering that could be amazing. And it's not here. We don't get to read it because of the choices that were made yeah. that were based on trying to fulfill oneself. Nice. Uh, can I have the very last slide, Mary Beth? Jesus says the light, uh, no, no, this is John speaking, not Jesus. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Uh, reflecting on 15 years after 9-11, um, when we, in, in the face of hatred, in the face of evil, in the face of violence, when we respond in kind, uh, it's darkness fighting darkness. But when we respond in love and peace and friendship, this, this relationship we see between Jonathan and David, love, peace, friendship, in the face of Jonathan's father, who is bent on violence, uh, this is what we see in Jesus on the cross. 
all the violence of the world hurled against him, and he responds, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Uh, the way of Jesus invites us in a, into a totally different way of being in the world. It is the way of surrender. It is the way of love. It is the way of forgiveness. It is the way of grace. And so when we come and partake of the bread and the cup this morning, I want to invite you to do a couple of things. One, uh, who, who do you know? Uh, who could really use your friendship, uh, who could really use you being fully present to them, if even for an hour over coffee? Uh, and would you jot their name down and would you email them or text them or call them this week and invite them for coffee? Uh, and secondly, I want to invite you to once again remember Remember the violence, the hatred that was put upon our Lord on the cross and remember his response to it. Love, grace, forgiveness, peace, salvation, redemption, restoration, because the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. God, thank you for this story. Uh, this is such an amazing story of love and friendship and sacrifice. And we recognize it's all gift. It's your spirit moving into people, showing them how life can be how relationships can be. And so God, I ask for that same spirit to move in us in beautiful and powerful ways. God, make us friends, make us people who release self-interest and embrace the cross and the resurrection. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen.